greet you all in the name of Jesus this morning. I also want to welcome our visitors. Um, I don't think Richard and Sharon will be offended if we call them our friends as well, but we won't take them from you. So we welcome you here. Worship with us. This morning's message, instead of being separate from Sunday school, is gonna we're gonna segue right from Sunday school into the message. I I didn't look at our Sunday school till this morning, and we talked about some of the very things that I have in my message this morning in Sunday school. And I'm not gonna apologize for that. Um, I was gonna preach this message four weeks ago, and God laid another message on my heart, and I had this one for this week. And even the song that Roger led had my verses in this morning that I'm going to read. So the chills were going up and down my back as we continue through this service and how God works. The message title is Kingdom Living. And we already talked about the two-kingdom concept. <clears throat> and that is one of the thoughts we're going to look at this morning. What are we referring to when we talk about the two kingdom concept? <clears throat> is the world system is the one kingdom. Satan is the king of this kingdom. The second kingdom is the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus is the king of this kingdom. We find ourselves part of God's kingdom, but we physically live in the kingdom of this world. And there's this constant pull from, from this kingdom that we live in to join with their ideas and the way that they think and believe is trying to pull us that direction. And how are we doing with maintaining a separation between the kingdom that we are part of and the kingdom that we live in? And if you see any of the headlines in the last weeks or through the years of the royal fans in England, if you uh, watch how they responded all to the big events in their in their uh, country, there you have no question to which kingdom they are part of and. Uh, how enthusiastic they are about it. The uh, Queen celebrated her 70th year of reign, of Jubilee year, and these things I was just looking up as I was preparing for this. Some people spend up to 70 hours camping out along the uh, fence so they can get uh, the best view of the Queen as she passes that spot. When there's children born into the royal family, they'll camp out for weeks in front of the hospital waiting for that child to be born and then also for the town crier to come out and to announce with bells and a scroll and a shout for everybody to hear the name and with these royal announcements. You have, there is no question of what kingdom they are representing. There are four points this morning I want to look at. Uh, number one is kingdom choice. You can turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 
Matthew 13, I'll be reading verse 44 to 46. And the kingdom of heaven, all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking all that he had and bought it. First of all, we see seeking to find this treasure. And the treasure that God, if somebody like this man began seeking for this treasure, I think it would be okay to say that at some point he was exposed to some, and because of that exposure, that contact, it gave him a desire to also go seeking for this treasure because of what he's seen in the person that uh, he had uh, been exposed to. And second thing we see is the man knew by what he saw in this person that already had this treasure that it was worth a lot of energy to find it. This treasure was not laying on top of the ground, clear sight, but it was hidden or buried in this field. This man continues seeking till he finds the treasure. And then what does he do? All is well for him. He has found salvation. And it says he buries the treasure and goes on his way to keep it safe. Why? Why would this, why would he bury this treasure after he found it? Wasn't the search over? I think this man found himself at a, at a critical crossroad. He found the treasure. He seen the value and the beauty of this treasure and he realized that he could not afford to have this treasure and the things of this life that were important to him before he had found and seen what this treasure really was. You know, at this crossroad, he had to consider the cost of changing his allegiance from one king and to another, and it would cost him everything. What will he do? Will he sell out? Or will he consider the cost and decide that it's too much to give up what he had and what he uh, was enjoying at that time? You know, he weighs the pleasures of this life, the life he knew up until this point, to the joy that he knows he will be able to experience by giving up all these things so that he could purchase this treasure, this field that contained the treasure. And as he considered his these two options, the things that he held close before start to lose their appeal and the joy of possessing this treasure begins to radiate through him and he knows what his decision is. He sells out and buys the field and the treasure becomes his. You know, am I sold out for the kingdom of God? Am I all in? Every part of me. Is this buried treasure worth more than anything else that I can call mine? Or do I hold everything else loosely so that God can start to prune me? 
I know we can argue that we cannot purchase your salvation, and I agree with that. But there's a price that we need to pay to receive this gift. If it doesn't cost us anything, is it really a treasure or pearl? And Jesus told us to count the cost before we take up the cross and follow him. And there is a price to pay that will cost us. It is not the cost of salvation, but the cost of giving up ourselves and be able to receive the gift of salvation. And the best gift we can ever receive. And I like the one thought that I... And I also thought of it in this way. It's like buying a Bible that we have here. Or if we didn't own one, we would go purchase this book so that we can... We need to search within the pages of this book to find the treasure. Teen. There went a great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever shall not bear his cross, come after me, cannot be my, my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he have laid the foundation is not able to finish it. All that, behold, it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, setteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Again, the cost of that treasure is giving up all for him. Number two is kingdom conflict. Becoming part of the kingdom of God is not the end of the journey. Finding that treasure is not the end, but it's only the beginning it is now that God can start working in our lives and pruning us so that we can have the best experience possible in living for Him. <clears throat> and we become an ambassador from one kingdom while living in another. We live here in this, earth, in this earthly kingdom, but we represent God's kingdom and this is when we start feeling the conflict of the two kingdoms. <clears throat> now, if we look at an ambassador to a foreign country, they go to a foreign country with the interests of their own country in, in uh, building relationships with other, other countries. But their, the decisions and the things that they represent are always of first interest to the the country that they came from. And if, a, if an ambassador begins to assimilate into the culture of the country that he's living in, and his interests begin to change, and he no longer holds the values 
of his own country, who he is representing, he will lose his position because the country he is representing needs their interests to be represented first and foremost so that the benefits, so the decisions that are made will benefit their their country. We find ourselves in this very place. How do we respond to the pressures of living in this world? Do we just have the humdrum approach? It's not the way we wish, but it's just part of the curse of living here till we get to heaven. Are we making a conscious effort to hold everything up to the teachings of the king that I am representing and decide what he would require of me? You know, some of these things were are fairly settled on. We know where we stand and how we represent God's kingdom. But how are we doing on the things that are not necessarily right or wrong in themselves? Things that without us realizing it are siphoning energy into the wrong kingdom. They're taking our focus Am I considering the effects of every decision and how it will affect my life and for God's kingdom before I make that final decision? These last few weeks, it's become very clear to me on how I made decisions without considering some of these consequences and how it might affect my spiritual life. I had a conversation with one of the brothers here and we were on the subject of internet filters and smartphones and things that we're facing with this technology. And I made this comment that I get irritated at how often I pull my phone out of my pocket in a day's time. And it was just kind of a passing comment. <clears throat> but I guess that confession caused some guilt at the same time, and I began to evaluate why I'm pulling my phone out of my pocket so often. And it was an interesting journey, and one that I'll probably continue to work through. And it was decisions that I made without considering the done with the thought of being a good thing. <clears throat> And a very small thing, and it didn't cost me anything to do this. But it was definitely, and I'm just going to, through a little bit of my experience, and it would be interesting to hear testimony if you've gone through things like this yourself. And the first one was a, a news alert app that I viewed this app. It had very nice features for searching for lost people. I could set an area for uh, most recent news alerts from this certain area. A good thing for search and rescue. It seemed very practical. Well, the concept for these apps and using them is good, but they're designed in a way to gain users. And as they gain users, they get more or bigger companies to put their ads on these apps, which in turn gives more revenue 
and the rating goes up, and it's just a, a vicious cycle. They need people to function, and they need these ads and these companies. So what they would do is always have three news articles on the notification bar. And it became so much of a habit to just glance at these notifications, these news articles, and open it up, and now you've got lists and lists. You can just scroll through and just open one at a time. Interesting. Uh, world news, local news, really not wrong in itself. But the time that it was consuming... <clears throat> So, eliminate the notifications on that app, and soon realize there's others that are vying for my attention as well. News 9 was sending me notifications for the same reason. I was looking for lost people. Um, another, what I would have called a good thing. So as I continue to turn these notifications off, and... I got to the, the sticky one. And I'd like to ask you this question. How many of you know how many message apps you have on your phone that you can send and receive messages? If you never counted, I challenge you to do that. I have eight of them, including email. And I didn't get them all for the reason to be able to communicate, to send and receive messages, but they they come with those features. And I don't have near all of them. There are many, many, many apps out there we can get that want our attention. And I can give you all the reasons why I got them. You know, there's one, there's always the one we like best. Another one my family uses. Another one the search and rescue team uses. You know, it's all things that are legit for what we do. But at the same time, each time we do it, we're taking time away from God's kingdom and putting and, and focusing on these things and getting involved with, with these other, these other things that are taking away our energy from where it should be. And there's many things you can do to to help with these things. And, you know, family chats, you know, that can go on for a long time. And it can be dinging and dinging and dinging. You can turn that notification off. Things that I'm going to be trying. And there's there's people that I wonder why they don't see their messages sooner. And I, I wonder if they already came to this place and turned their notifications off. And when they get to it, Sometime they have a free time in their day, they'll respond respond to your message. And I can respect that. I am joining that camp. When I kept thinking back to when I purchased my first smartphone, did I consume before I bought it? And I would have to say I, I really didn't. It seemed like a very, you know, send, receive emails on the go, uh, looking looking on with that and I'll, I'll say again these are no but it can be things as small as a free app that we put on our phone 
And what about the political world? I can testify to that too. I was too involved. And I would use the excuse that, you know, we can't be naive to what is going on around us either. And I don't think we can. I think, I think as a church, we need to know what we're going to face so that we're prepared. But to become involved with your elections and all these things is not good for our work in God's kingdom. <clears throat> so what can we do to combat this? And I'm going to contradict myself really bad. Download another app. <laughs> There's good things out there. Sermons.net, podcast, strength to, strength to Strength podcast. There are things that when we're tempted, if I'm tempted to turn on the news again to hear everything that's going on around me, I can go to these good things and listen to things that are, are going to give me a biblical worldview rather than a worldly one. Now, this is just one thing of many, many things we can face every day. <clears throat> Young people, before you go to places, ask yourself this question. Well, I need to compromise on my values to participate in this, to go here. Even things that are good, serving on a mission field. Missions are always good, right? But again, look at the values that are there and compared to your values and the way you feel Jesus wants you to live and will it be good for your spiritual life? Matthew 5, 29 and 30 If the right eye offend thee, pluck it out cast it from thee profiteth for is for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. The right hand of it that the whole body should be cast into hell. Yeah, I don't think something off, but literally in the sense that we may have to eliminate something out of our life. Won't go there. We could go on and on. Business. Hobby too. Or you may need to refrain from something that I don't have to. And a comment that I came across is quote. All of us are following destiny. <clears throat> Luke six forty three to forty five. Crop fruit, neither doth a crop tree bring forth good fruit, for every tree is known by his own and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance. A friend of mine often uses this quote, just what Jesus said in this, in the last uh, verse that I read there, the last part of that. For the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. If someone is part of the thing, you won't, you'll find good fruit on good trees and you'll find bad fruit in God's kingdom will only trees that produce good fruit. 
I was going to read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but, I, but Paul gives a list of fruits first that are not part of the kingdom of God. Okay. And in the one verse, he says that the works of the flesh are manifest by the way somebody lives and talks. The fruit is visible. Last one, number four, is kingdom transformation. Before we... Matthew thirteen thirty one to 33 Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took, sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. I just want to read this for the young believers that we have here. Is don't become discouraged, fearing that you might make mistakes in your Christian life. God is patient and merciful, and He will show you at the right moments when He sees you are ready to make these changes to be more like Him. This morning I put uh, mustard seeds in my pocket and apparently my smartphone ate them up because I can't find them. But a mustard seed, if I held it between my fingers, I don't know that I could open it far enough that you could even see it. It's almost like the tip of a pencil. And as that is planted and it grows... It becomes one of the largest herbs where even with branches that even birds can can uh, sit in. And it's the same for our Christian life. It starts out small and continues to grow and grow as we water it. And it's fed by the correct source. And the important thing to remember is that it never stops growing. If a herb or a tree stops growing, that means it died. And the same thing can happen to us. If we are not growing spiritually, we are sitting stagnant. We will continue, eventually begin to die. Now in closing, you can turn to Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And if you go back and read in chapter 11, uh, Paul is talking about what God did for us and who can repay him you know who did God get counsel from how was he able to do this and because of 
all these things that God did to us, he goes, he goes to the Roman church and he urges them, I beseech you, I urge you that you would be a living sacrifice for God because of what he did for you. It would be, which is your reasonable service. You owe this to God because of what God did for you. And the word used in verse 2, the transform, is more than just a living a good life. The word transform that Paul used here is a very uh, powerful word. And if we go back to the, the man in the first parable that I talked about, when he found the treasure, he had to make that choice. You know, he didn't get just get to a Y in the road which instead of bearing to the left, he went to the right. But he experienced a complete change in direction. You know, I I work with transformers and appreciate what they do, and it gives me an appreciation for this verse and what it's trying to say. And I use this illustration for classroom devotionals so students and teachers know a little bit where I'm going with this. You know, we have the high voltage lines, electric lines running out along the road that supply our houses and farms. And the electric that is on those lines is normally in that 7 to 9,000 volts and in this, these areas, normally, uh, some of your trans, transmission lines would be way, way higher than that. But normally, along our, our streets, would be in that seven to nine thousand volts. And if you know anything about electric, you know that is way more than what we can handle in our our systems on our properties. And we use 110 to 220. So there's this huge difference between the voltage on the lines to what we actually use. If we would bring that, if we would tap into the line along the road and bring it into our house, there'd be a few bright sparks and then it would all go dark if it doesn't burn everything down. But we can install a transformer between our house and the high voltage lines and run the power through that and it changes that voltage into, into a voltage that is very useful to us. And the lights in our house and barns will burn bright as long as we have that source coming through that transformer. <clears throat> you know, living in this world but not, but being part of a different kingdom can be a lot like this illustration. You know, the, the continual flow of electric through a transformer is the same of us getting our continual supply of life as it flows from Jesus to us through His Spirit. It enables us, it makes us useful for His kingdom. <clears throat> you know, this world has a lot of useful things 
But we need the continual supply of the Holy Spirit to discern what is useful to us and what might hinder us. Even like I said, it may not be a, a right or a wrong issue. He goes on in verse, verse 2 of being conformed to this world. You know, this will happen without our help. We will naturally go toward the world that we live in and are influenced by if we're not receiving from Jesus, from His Spirit. I want to look at the word uh, transform. It comes from the Greek word translated metamorpho, which is where we get our English word metamorphosis. It's a definition of a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. You know, this Greek verb was only used four times in the Bible, twice referring to Jesus' uh, transformation on the mountain with his disciples, and once in this verse, Romans 12.2, and once in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And as we grow in Christ, God will transform us into something totally different than what we were. And this does not happen on our own strength. It's only through Christ. So from a drab caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly, from a sinner to a person that is being changed into the image of his creator. Again, the same as the mustard seed. This changing process never stops, but it is a continual change until God's work is finished in our lives and He transforms our earthly bodies into a heavenly image. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Consider what the disciples saw when they saw Jesus transfigured in that mountain. Was it so minimal that they almost missed it? No, it was so profound, so amazing so bright that they fell on their faces and didn't have anything to say except for Peter. He he tried but was not really thinking of what was actually happening there when he was talking. And this is exactly what our lives should look like living in the kingdom of this world but representing the kingdom of God. It should be very visible. Close with Second Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed, or that's our word, transformed, into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord.